0: Yes. <laughs> hey, you. You're listening to Sloan Cast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Chris Murphy, Patrick Pentland, Andrew Scott, and Jay Ferguson, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, what's going on, buddy?
1: Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's an anniversary year. So we've been touching on many anniversary topics this year. It's the 30th anniversary of the greatest band of all time. It's the uh, 10th anniversary of Never Hear at the End of It. It's the third anniversary of 12, and it's the 25th anniversary of one chord to another. And, you know, this is such such a huge topic to cover. It's almost intimidating coming in here and saying, let's talk about one chord to another and put it in the context of 25 years.
0: Totally. It is. Yeah. I mean, so much to talk about here. And speaking of talking, it's like our eight-month anniversary of chatting with our guest today, Aaron Pinto. How's it going,
2: buddy? It's going great. I um, uh, couldn't couldn't be happier to be back to discuss if we if we if we're calling Sloan the greatest band of all time. We can uh, some some might argue this is the greatest album by the greatest band of all time, which means it's the greatest album of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah, buddy, I love it. I, thank you again so much for being with us again. It's always a pleasure having you on. I think the last time you run with us was the uh, big triple header there, the mm-hmm. Commonwealth the triple episode. So that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah, man, great to have you back. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Oh man, I appreciate you guys having me and um I'm psyched here. So yeah.
0: <laughs> cool, buddy. well why don't we get into it? We kind of discussed before recording uh, Ken that we'd kind of uh, address this in a sort of more of a free form style. So uh how should we begin here? I, I had uh, the Wikipedia up there a little while which is, you know, if you're looking online and reading things on Wikipedia it can be a little dicey obviously, but the info for the Sloan album seems pretty spot on. So um perhaps we could start and sort of just set the stage discuss quickly what the guys were doing in the, you know, in that year it was an important year. We've talked yep. about it a little bit on the, on the show, going into, coming from 1995 and 96, as we discussed, uh, we touched on it a little bit in the last episode, the Smeared 2 episode um, mm. that, uh, They had been touring twice removed, obviously. And that had been, you know, like a tough go, you know, they were kind of sent off on a barge essentially on their own touring across the U S and through the, you know, Canada and stuff, and had been not put out to pasture by DGC, but they weren't necessarily putting a ton of oomph behind them as it were. And they were kind of winding down. Andrew was like full-time in Toronto and the band was kind of splintered slightly. And, Mm. um, so it, as as it's been said by Chris, it should have been called a break, but at the time it was called a break up, and so the guys are officially broken up. Although, I mean, by the end of summer '95, they do the Big Edge Fest show, they do the Farewell Buffalo show, and I mean, what they're recording like within a couple of months of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're recording they're recording that's- the whole time, aren't they? I mean, it's Andrew working on shit in Toronto. Um, they have mm. a ton of material that's coming out, you know, demos and 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 the like that are coming out throughout uh ninety four, ninety five. so stood up same old flame was the swan song from that mm. twice removed era we talked about that in the last episode but it's not as though this band just like didn't see each other ever or you know parted ways and were doing their own thing entirely in isolation you know there was a lot happening uh latently on the side as well
0: Totally. The guys are, Chris and Jay specifically, are totally focusing on our records in the summer, later into 95. Uh, um, and so, yeah, and obviously around Christmas time is the story where Andrew kind of comes from Toronto to Halifax, and they record all of the drums in kind of one go, mm-hmm. essentially. I mean, he, he recorded all of his stuff, I assume, in Toronto on his own, mm-hmm. uh, I think, as he said. But um, yeah, and it's cool. I was thinking about this before we started recording. Like, I don't know what it is about this album for me, but obviously, it's the one that I was introduced on. It's the one that kind of I've probably heard the most amount of times. And when I listen to it, it's almost like I don't want to say too perfect, but I can't even imagine the recording process. It's so just Mm -hmm. like godlike. I don't want to be cheesy when I say that, but like it's just so you know, it's just carved in stone in my mind exactly as it sounds like it's it's hard to even listen to the demos and stuff because i'm just so used to that uh, that album version
1: you're totally right Um, but it's
0: just such a it's just such a perfect album and at the time obviously when it came out it didn't sound like anything and uh you know comparative i mean they talk on the wikipedia site about uh you know twice removed is what like north of a hundred thousand dollars budget Yeah. and this one was like a couple thousand maybe Mm. Which was essentially the guys, that was probably just the idea of East Studio recording sessions, you know, like, and apparently this was only recorded like within a couple of weeks, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I was just going to say, pretty crazy. I mean, like, to go from the huge production of Toys Removed to the sort of stripped down nature of this album, did the limitations in terms of the time that they had to work on it and the budget they had to work on it kind of. You know you don't have a year like with some of the other albums to kind of you know mull it over and re-record and rewrite and so on mm. so you know did those limitations lead to the sort of abruptness of it you know and to me too and i'm, I'm kind of going all over the place here so you guys kind of cut me off but you know for this one too it, it has a cohesion that is present on the other albums in a way. But this one for me is is the one that just feels the most like one complete thought. You know, yeah. even albums like Smeared and Action Pack, which from a production standpoint sound the same. This one really feels like it's one thing. Hmm. You know, like you can go from extremes like Junior Panthers to 400 meters and so on and put both songs on and they really feel like the same album. Uh, where even newer albums like 12, which is a record that I love, you know, you put you know uh, a couple of songs back to back and and, and it is very mixtapey sounding, yeah. more so you know what i mean yeah um,
1: uh, to quote patrick pentland if it's cohesive it's cohesive by mistake or by luck so you know that's such an interesting <laughs> sure. observation and we've talked about this as well and in, in, in for albums like between the bridges for for me so i'm going to ask you guys this question but i'm going to give you my reasons first of all why is ocTA so important? And for me, three things stand out. Um, the first thing is it's the album that should have never happened, right? It's totally, you know, obviously an exaggerated fan uh, mindset, but it's it's nothing short of a miracle that the band's falling out worked worked out in the way it did for us, and that it ultimately resulted in their best selling album. like this was not supposed to happen. This was essentially a clause. Uh, a means of saying goodbye and a means of, uh, you know, a means of of giving their Murder Records label a little bit of gas. So that's the one. You know, the second reason for me is for this reason alone, it's the first of the two major turning points in the band's career that we talk about. So the the other one being never hear the end of it, right? And we talk about the three generations of, of of Sloan fans, and we'll get into that in a minute. And then the third reason for me is it's artistically as far as I'm concerned, their first timeless statement, right? So if if Smeared was sort of the epitome of that grunge and noise rock era, and Twice Removed was like the the early 90s indie rock sweetheart, then Okta is their first album that you as a layperson, perhaps, couldn't really put a specific year beside it just by listening to it, right? So I mean, sure, 95-96 was in the midst of was in the midst of this sort of brick pop invasion and the second wave of, of Beatlemania and all that jazz. But, um, you know, those elements are definitely apparent here, but this album could have just as well been released in, in 06 or 2016 or 86 or whenever. Right. So for me, those are the three things that stick out. Maybe Aaron, like for you, why is Okta so important, especially as a fan who's come into this band at a later point in time?
2: Right, I mean, I one. I agree with all the all the points you just said, and to its timelessness. Um, I, I kind of going going through the discography. You could like even though even though Twice Remove is when they wanted they wanted to sound more timeless, it's still. In retrospectively, it still sounded kind of like I could be. I easily I knew this was the the nineties. I could just mm-hmm. tell by like whether it was certain chord change, like you know Jay using the uh, serve the servants chord on uh, on uh, I Hate My Generation. Whether it was that influence, you know, it's 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 certainly more timeless than a lot of shit from the nineties. But um, <laughs> but one but one chord, like you said, I don't know whether it's it's the variety of of instrumentation like such as the horns and and maracas which which are you know it, the those things are mentioned in the in the chico t sanchez uh liner notes you know as as new newish things and you and and maybe you know some people would be would be like what you know maracas what's the big deal but like I don't know. It, 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 the, that timelessness makes it so important to me. And, and the other thing is, it's the first, it's the first Sloan album and maybe, maybe the last Sloan album where I feel like every song could have been a single. And that's, and I don't say that in a derogatory way. I look at it as like, um, like a Beatles Sgt. Pepper thing where they're just like, yeah, like this, you know, and we're not releasing any singles from this because we feel like, you know, they're all quality, right. you know, obviously, one did release singles off it. And obviously, you know, you could take an album like between the bridges and um, you can make the argument there. But then at the same time, it's like that album flows, you know, songs one into another. Um, I just feel like this is, the, you don't want to say it's where they arrived, but it's kind of, it's kind of where it, it clicked, yeah, I guess. Yeah,
1: It's, it's the third album's a charm type thing. Right. And if you guys like, I, I can, if you can entertain me for a second here, third album's a charm talking about, uh, born to run, Aaron, uh, mm. Zeppelin three, <laughs> dookie, uh park life
2: this is me because i'm i'm in new jersey for people who are like what what is you talk- cool.
1: <laughs> you're basically you're basically bruce springsteen's grandson I, I, exactly yeah <laughs> um after the gold rush melancholy uh london calling was the clash's third album uh, the, uh this is for you rob the queen is dead uh fear of a black planet. And if we do use the awfully um, quoted uh, comparison to the Billy Joel discography, and if we do exclude Cold Spring Harbor, which is what you do if you're a fan, uh, then it's turnstiles. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, so many acts are hitting their stride after two kind of test albums, right? And I'm not trying to degrade... Uh, the 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 merits of smeared or, or twice removed, but you're absolutely right. This is where they come out and say, "This is our statement. This is kind of how we want to sound as a band, and we're happy with the, f- the finished package."
0: I don't want to sound kind of morbid, but <clears throat> it is interesting to talk about the, the list that you just kind of read off there, Ken. In terms of like third albums being sort of this kind of coming in to your own sort of we've arrived sort of statement because it sounds to me, it's kind of like the 27 club thing. Like all the yeah. rock stars who died at exactly 27 years old, you can think that you know, maybe there's something going on there. Like there's just, this reoccurring theme or it could just be random that these people have all, you know, this collection of people passed away and they all happen to be 27 because like you said earlier, like this is the album that shouldn't have been. And it's mm-hmm. almost that old thing. Like you succeed, you succeed as soon as you stop trying, you know? Right. And I genuinely think, and and I think the guys have mentioned this when talking about this album, there was no expectation that this was going to be anything. You know, this was just like, we've got some songs, we've got murder records, we might as well add some value to our label by putting a Sloan album out on murder, you know, as opposed to it going, you know, with DGC or whatever, because they certainly had that option, which, which we've spoken about too. Um... And so it was just sort of a way to kind of bankroll murder a bit and just sort of like have a final statement, a posthumous release. uh, And there you go. And then suddenly out of nowhere, like, hey, this album is like kicking butt and everybody loves it. And the band are essentially back. They find themselves like, oh, hey, we're a band again. And I don't and I'd be curious to know, I mean, maybe, you know, cross our fingers, we get, you know, one of the guys on again. And we get asked them, like, what sort of that timeline looked like, where Mm -hmm. they went from experimentally just putting out this album that they may have assumed would be just lost to the hands of time to wow it's really it has got legs and i guess we're got show offers and we're going to do them and you know what i mean like is everybody on board everybody put your you know for your, uh uh what's i don't want to say musketeers but what's the actual one the uh the four uh, musketeers? the musketeers of course. <laughs> they put their they put their hands in the center and they go here we go and they all go you know go off on the road or whatever but there's also um, so,
2: stuff to be said too for the for the idea that like, even though they, they didn't have any expectations, they were also probably in, and, and again, not to, not to parody myself as the guy who compares everything to the Beatles, but that's just my, that's my touchstone. <laughs> you up, can't talk about Octo without doing that. One, you can't, you were correct. Two, that those, that's just my touchstone. And three, it's like, you know, at least half of maybe three quarters of Sloan, that's their touchstones too. So it's mm-hmm. like, um, You know, it's I'm not talking out of school here. This in their mind, they were probably even though even though they would go on to make stuff that more so resembled Abbey Road and the side two of Abbey Road. This must have been in in the back of their heads like, hey, this is our Abbey Road. This is our if this is going to be the last thing we release, like, let's make it great. Like, I'm sure that that even and maybe that's a that's why it's so it's such a cool album, too, because it's it's that juxtaposition of n- not having high expectations but also having like great expectations for uh, for for the album. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: I was just gonna say they could essentially, with their ninety six budget, reproduce the the recording conditions at, you know, EMI Abbey Road Studios in the mid sixties for a fraction of the cost. You know, this is technology had 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 moved on and they had the ability to record Andrew's drums on a four track over the course of an afternoon and then bounce it to a 16 track and then make it sound great. You know, these are tricks that, that had been become available to bands in the 90s. So they can make that kind of rubber soul sounding album for a pretty decent price.
0: Hmm. I would suggest that the success of this one is sort of like a happy accident in a way, you know, like uh, talking about it being retro and, and, and you know, Aaron, you referencing, you know, Abbey Road and, and and potentially I would even argue like the White Album a little bit. Um, this record feels like it's it's when, when they were making it and the guys have even mentioned too in the past, you know, I think when they're making records, certainly these days and since they have the listener in mind or they maybe have an overall goal in mind. Whereas with this one, I think the ethos was this one is for us. Mm. You know, we've just gone through these two records where the first one was, you know, we were sort of mirroring kind of what was going on in the world. Second one, we're trying to more find our own voice. And then this one is just like, okay, we're just making this one for us. It's going to be on our label. So let's just make it something that we would really like to hear, you know, and we're not going to pay attention so much to slaving over exactly what it sounds like and and whatnot. And I'm sure there was probably a bit of that going on, but it was, I don't want to say less effort, but because of the time constraint and the financial constraint, they had sort of like, conditions that they had to work within Mm -hmm. and i think that produced something that you know you know that recipe of ingredients just created something so uh you know delicious and influential if you will but anyway um i don't really know what i'm going where i'm going with that but i mean they they obviously like like i was saying is that this one is for them essentially and i think jay at the time like interviews for one quarter another was saying that they very much wanted to make something not retro sounding, but they wanted to record their songs in the manner in which the albums that they really loved were recorded, you know, in, in less an example, like a guy like Lenny Kravitz, like they used the, the, the studio, the Kravitz studio with Jim Ron and Ellie on twice Mm -hmm. removed. And you have an album that doesn't necessarily sound like the past. uh, But um, with one chord to another. Obviously, they're using recording styles more in line, like you said, Ken, with you know '60s tech, mm. uh, and they come up with something that just has a very unique sound to it. I mean, just listening to it today, in in preparation for this, like, you know, I forget who it was. Was it Lawrence Curry who said on the on the the liners that he didn't he wanted to make sure that everybody knew he didn't record the drums yeah. you know like yeah. there's some of my re- my favorite recorded drums ever amazing you know like you can't you can't fuck with the drum sound on this album it's so great and, and like you said Ken earlier uh, or sorry you mentioned Aaron with the Chico C. T. Sanchez liners I'm talking too fast the maracas and stuff like I love I mean god if every album had like a split of like you know the drums are in one channel and the maracas and percussion are in another and the separation of those things is just such a unique sound and i've always said that you know the the components that make really great music would be obviously songwriting and the performance but I think most people and especially people who are musicians really key into how something sounds, the kind of stuff that your brain doesn't necessarily process, you know, like I'm trying to think of an example, like a band like Phoenix, mm. where things are really overproduced, like the drums on an album aren't necessarily played on an acoustic drum kit. They're probably played, you know, with pads or you know, electronically produced. Um, and they're played differently live, but those albums have a really specific sound. You know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, an album like Pinkerton or something. That's just got that yeah. really overblown production. Sure. Um, and in those albums, like the sixties where they've got, you know, the vocals are in one side. I think Chris has got a, a word for that. I can't remember what it is like the ex- extreme mixing or something, mm-hmm. right. but, uh, where things are panned, say- hard panned. Yeah.
2: The hard panned. Yeah. I would go to go off your point about how the record sounds. I, I, I've always viewed this album, and you, you know, when I when I'm saying Abbey Road, I was just talking about in terms of their, um, you know, them thinking it was the last album. Let's go off on a high note, kind of thing. But sound like sonically, I always my my crazy fantasy of this album is, it, it, or if I was pitching it to somebody, I would say, what? Well, imagine if, imagine if Sergeant Pepper Beatles time traveled ten years forward absorb punk and all that ten, 10 years or 11 years forward you know get get the best of punk is what I'm saying travel back to 1967 and finish up the album and that's and that's one chord like I it, it, talk you talk about Lenny Kravitz you talk like I I and I've, I think I said this on on my very first uh cast appearance but I hate um, revivalist kind of music there's a band uh, called temples they're fine but you see the the pictures i mean i the first album was actually pretty good but you see pictures of them and they're wearing frilly shirts and Mm -hmm. bell bottoms and it's like tommy james it's so it's yeah it's just like come on like this is so lame like it's 20 (laughs) like it's 2016 or whatever this album came out and it's just like you know I, i i always hate that and 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 Sloan is knows how to take those influences take that 1967 kind of sound the dry drum sound and hard panning and all that but then bring it bring it back to the now um and and that's like I I love that one chord is like I don't think I don't think there's another album you can point to that has the el- those elements of 60s pop and punk mm. like straight up oh. you know first Ramones album Clash right. you know Buzzcocks that sort of punk mixed with 60s pop I mean there's other other bands would will go on to do similar things um, and then there's the the whole you know genre of like like garage revival kind of bands but that that cheap that's Sloan is so above that mm. Sloan is so uh, is so above garage hmm. even though it shares sonic characteristics with with that um it's you know like um it's yeah it's this it's a hundred percent the songwriting and um and I just like i it was sold it was just sold to me as an album I would love but if somebody had sold it to me as you know what I just said with the time traveling I'd be like <laughs> well that sounds like everything I want in an album. And lo and behold, it is everything I want mm. in an album.
0: Yeah. If I, if I could say again, I mean, like, <clears throat> I could use a song like autobiography as an example, cause I think it was, uh, the murder records podcast, episode six, which just dropped recently. Uh, they kind of cover the B sides win volume two. And Chris mentioned on there that he had received a tape of himself performing autobiography in 1991, essentially as you hear it mm. on one chord in 1996. And so, And this has been sort of a revelation to me doing this podcast, because in my mind, I always thought of these guys as evolving from like, you know, 92 through 94, 96 and kind of changing their sound and then finding themselves, you know, we're kind of talking about that now. But this sort of speaks more to and we got into this a little bit on the last episode, too, where. I use the analogy of like a person. Like for me, like when I was a kid, I was just some normal kid. I'm myself because I don't know any different. I'm just being myself. And as you get into high school and through puberty, you like think maybe I should be a chain around the neck guy or maybe I should be a goth guy or maybe I should be like a punk or you know, you, you kind of experiment with what you look like and how you sound and how you present yourself to the world. And I think as you mature and go on, most people kind of go come around in a big circle and find them, their true self. You know, they kind of come into a, a bit of a maturity, if you will. And they they kind of settle into a comfort zone where, okay, this is me. This is how I am. You know, like, this is what I look like and blah, 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 how you present yourself. And I feel like this is this story with these guys as well. You know, that they were, they had a sort of comfort zone. And we talked about Carney Lake Road and that, you know, knowing that Chris had autobiography in 91, Go, t- taking that left turn into the sort of British, you know, My Bloody Valentine style music for Smeared, coming back around again to another extreme for Twice Removed, and then sort of settling, like you said originally, Ken, on this sound that is one chord to another, which would be the template blueprint for everything since. Sure. Which I think is their true natural state. Yeah. You know, this
1: is yeah. where they feel the most comfortable. Yeah. This is them, you know? This is, and that's actually a really good point, a really good segue to um, the rest of this discussion. The mid-90s were so different from the early 90s in terms of what you're allowed to do as a rock band, because the early 90s to get on a major, you can't get on a major sounding like the Kinks, you know, you're not going to do it. So, but then Britpop happened. And so Britpop, in as much as, you know, you might love it or loathe it, um, it enabled Sloan in many ways to to kind of find their their niche in mainstream rock music you know it it opened them up to an audience that they would not have had guaranteed they would not have had that audience in 1992 if smeared sounded like Okta. that would have flopped and this is such a, a big entry point and this is the segue this is such a big entry point for so many fans to this band you know rob butcher and ken gildner included you know this was this was the point in time in which you're really seeing sloane's music on rotation in in much music like those videos you know, we'll get to that. But this is the point where they, you know, like you said, they feel comfortable with their sound. And they found it was serendipitous in the sense that they found the perfect time to come up with this, with this tonal aesthetic, essentially.
0: So this is my question back to you guys. This is sort of a chicken or egg thing, you know, like, and and maybe we don't know, we can speculate, you know, were they reacting to the scene you know were they reacting to 1994 oasis blur sort of seeing the rise again of sort of guitar centric pop rock or were they looking back you know to the 60s and saying you know we really love that that's sort of the music of our soul we're going to make something you know that sort of replicates or mirrors that style of recording and did they happen to just bump into the times you know what do you guys think Mm
1: -hmm. i mean as far as i'm Hmm. concerned you can't you can't tell me that they 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 weren't aware of what was going on with Oasis and they weren't aware of what was going on with Blur you know that that was something that was so in your face at that point in time uh, I've they fucking played Wonderwall at my freaking school dances as a slow song like that that was huge so it's it you can't answer that question right i think it's yeah. I, th- I think sure, of course. I think the band would maybe downplay that and say, "Well, you know, we were drawing on the Stooges and we were drawing on the Kinks and Patrick discovered the Stones after, you know, neglecting them for thirty years." And but I I feel as though you can't not, you know, it, it would be a lie to say that Octa would have happened in the form that it did, if if Britpop didn't precede it.
0: I will say this. I don't want to cut you off Aaron, but I will say this. You know, they're obviously They must have been aware, obviously. Of the music happening at the time, but I mean, to me, Oasis and Blur always sound like the '90s to me. Mm-hmm. Like the, they obviously are tipping their hat, as it were, to classic rock, and they obviously love the Beatles and blah blah blah, and they were ripping off songs like "Don't Look Back in Anger" and stuff. But I mean, those albums sound like the middle '90s. You okay. know, what I mean? whereas Sloan in '96, they don't sound. They sound. They sound completely out of time with everything. You know,
2: it's it's all it's it's all about like. I, I, I totally agree with that. Like to me, Oasis are, they're about talking the talk and Sloan is about walking the walk. Yeah, like like Murphy is, I mean, it's evident. It's so evident just in the baselines. Murphy is a hmm. s- student of M- McCartney. Like there, there is no, there is no artfulness to Oasis baseline. You know, like <laughs> you can, you can, you can you can look at, honestly, you can look at a band, you can look at their bass lines and be like, does that band give a shit or do they not? And like, that's one thing I, that jumped out to me immediately with Sloan. I mean, I, I happen to play bass, but like, even before I played it, like I, I always, that's what really reeled me in with the Beatles. When I fell in love with them again, I was just like, Oh my God, these bass lines are, um, they're making the song. And to quote, I I quote Jason Schwartzman from the uh, from the Sloan twentieth anniversary videos. Uh, quote him talking about autobiography, like almost almost daily, uh, talking about something. But generally, it'll be about Sloan. Um, uh, Jason Schwartzman referring to the autobiography baseline, where he says that that baseline needs medicine. It's so sick. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I th- I, but I, I don't know what my what my point was. I guess there's just more artfulness like they're they can uh, you know like uh, oasis might have tricked people into going like oh oh, they're like the beatles but like right i guess oasis is to the beatles as like a a frat uh, abbey road frat poster is to the beatles whereas you Mm -hmm. know sloan sloan is to the beatles as like a um like a old four-track machine is to is is to the Beatles, you know, like they're, they're, oh. they're looking, they're looking beyond the dopey public persona. Hmm. Uh, they're look, they're looking at the art of it.
1: Um, yeah. and, and yeah, right. Slowness to the Beatles as Paul McCartney's solo career after wings was to the wings, essentially.
0: <laughs> there
1: <you go. laughs>
2: there's some fire, well, there's some fire to be found, but you know, yeah, well said.
1: so, Sure, you get this context of things happening in rock music that weren't happening in the early nineties, but at the same time, like who the fuck is writing Good and Everyone? Who else is coming out here and releasing a song like Good and Everyone as a single?
0: Mm.
1: You know? That's not happening anywhere else. I don't hear the Tea Party coming out and dropping Good and Everyone. Like I don't hear the Verve coming out and dropping Good and Everyone. You know, this isn't this isn't in the universe of of their abilities even, you know, and that's a hundred percent. And this is again, a a big point in why the album is so important, right? This is the first album that isn't Chris Murphy and Sloan. This is the album where you can really let Patrick Penland exercise his demons where Jay's songwriting is coming into full swing and where Andrew's off doing his own shit and coming up with tracks that are super heady and super like, you know, where, where the hell is this guy coming from, but that still fit into the mix
2: definitely the first first signs of that you know it's still a very Chris heavy album but um but for sure it's it's yeah but the other guys have
1: singles right
2: exactly the the guys have 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 found their their voice is much louder than it was on not I'm not talking about sonically I mean like symbolically they're they're more the songs are better like the other guys songs are better on on Octa there's no there's no doubt about it i mean i who doesn't love um you know who doesn't love worried now who doesn't love snowsuit sound but like there's a step up there's a noticeable step up i don't think anybody which which is you know it's it's weird that that to me that twice removed is is looked at as the fan favorite because i think most people would agree that everybody stepped it up on on one chord to another so maybe maybe that tide is is changing, yeah. you know.
0: And I don't want to say that Chris is, you know, you mentioned Aaron, you know, with the, it's, 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 it's important to say that Chris is, mayonnaise is all over everybody else's sandwiches okay Mm. so we've talked about him being sort of the condiment guy you know even though the song isn't necessarily his from the get-go i mean he certainly had a lot to do with good and everyone and so on you know Um, and i'm not suggesting that he's necessarily falling on his sword here or letting the other guys catch up if you will but i think he likes the idea and i think they would all agree that they wanted the band to last you know, to be not only timeless musically, but be around for a long time. And I think there might have been maybe if it was, I don't know if it was cognizant or not, but you know, an effort to kind of spread the wealth and sort of like, you know, let's have two Patrick singles. Let's make sure we got a J single out there, you know, so that when, when it comes to the live show, everybody's represented. Hmm. And just, I think, in keeping with, you know, the way a band like The Beatles, for example, would react or, or would appear, the thing that they have more in common than even like a, a band like Oasis or Blur or whatever is that they're a four-headed monster. You know, like they wanted to have that appearance of we are, and it it's also happens to be true, four individual songwriters with four individual voices, you know, just how, how awesome are we? How individual are we? And the other thing that they've gotten in common with the Beatles is the four of them are hilarious, too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that Oasis didn't have. I mean, like, you had the Gallagher brothers who were just sort of off putting and they're hilarious to listen to because they <laughs> shit at everybody and they're completely fearless. Um, but, um, you know, like the other three guys who are like a rotating cast of people, they, they which, you know. Do they
1: have voices, the other three guys? Like.
0: I, I'm sure they're nice guys, but whatever, you know, right. uh, but, but Sloan it. truly encompass sort of that Beatles thing, that thing that makes them so magnetic, which is not only their is their music amazing and they're great singers, but just as characters, they're also
1: awesome.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um, Beatles, Kish, so, Ramos, all, you know, those are, those, those are always the most archetypes, you know, I love. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, those are, to me, those are the best kinds of bands because I mean, let's, even let's forget the fact that you know the Ramones wasn't uh, four songwriters and Kiss wasn't four songwriters. Really, you know, hmm. you could argue whatever. Um, but just on a just on a on a visual level, yeah, you know, yeah. Sloan yeah. fits fits.
1: That. For me, the best the best comparison in all of music is Wu Tang Clan. For me, this is Sloan is the Wu Tang oh Clan God. of rock music, and you know, <laughs> it's it's I so a I can picture Sloane totally. Being a hip hop quartet, I could totally picture them going down that path. Um, so, in a parallel universe where they got so inspired by that Public Enemy concert in Halifax, this is what happens. But B, uh, you know, Raekwon, Method Man, uh, they're bringing they're bringing their own personality and flair to every track they do. But Thirty Six Chambers sounds like a unit, like, and they they complement each other, even though they don't have to. You know what I mean? They influence each other even though they don't have to. It's, it's that cohesive. And you don't, you don't hear that in, like, that doesn't happen in, even in the Beatles. Like, even the Beatles, the first half of their career is like, okay, George, here's your fucking token song, and we'll just take this shitty ass, we'll write a shitty country song for you, Ringo, and you can sing it. Like, that never <laughs> happened. That never happened yeah. in Sloan. So for me, right. you know, this is, and I'm maybe leaning way out of the window here, but, you know, Sloan is the Wu-Tang clan of rock and roll music I,
2: like, side note i just um uh you know to to talking about like what what can sloan do next for their albums they've done the do- two double albums they've 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 done an album that's streamlined like action pack i think the next sloan album needs skits <laughs> I,
1: <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they
2: could totally do, i mean not they could totally do it. They could totally. <laughs> well, do. it's
0: not as though they haven't done it guy. Like if you listen to the party album, like it's like, what song That's is it? Cool. The on the, on the road again, Transona 5 Where. uh, Murph That's true as uh, is- tommy as murph as tommy chong goes into the bathroom hey guys, you're with the band or whatever um That's so true. they have they've go. done skits you know so album 13 here's what here's what i want to hear skits okay number two and then, i was thinking earlier too like looking back to andrew's solo show that he did like a few weeks ago as of, as of this recording he played baxter the b-side like the demo or whatever in that show holy shit i was like I'd heard that song, but I mean, hearing him sing it anew, I was like, "Man, if if you are if you need any other options for album thirteen, like please I re-record that." And that might I awesome. also start a petition to have learn how to play dead by Jay re-recorded? Jesus Christ!
1: Yeah. So the thing, and this is so astonishing, about Octa as well is like on the whole, it's pretty scrappy, right, guys? I mean, there there are super refined parts in there. You know, everything you've done wrong is the is the most obvious example, but it's a lot punchier. On the whole, then smeared or twice removed. It's like if okay. mid-career kinks, and you you know this this is going back to your analogy, um, Aaron. If 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 like mid-career, late-career kinks could redo Rubber Soul, then it wouldn't be far off from Okta. But again, but like the breadth, the breadth, and you mentioned Baxter, the breadth of songs that they were writing at this period in time. We can't forget that Andrew was full on alt country in 94, 95 with the Sadie's. And so you hear that in in like in that little outtake song number one. And you can kind of get a little bit of that on on A-Side's win and that kind of, Mm. you know, the swing to it. But here he is writing. Yeah, man. And here, here he is writing Baxter. You know, of course, Baxter didn't make it onto Okta. Like the world wasn't ready for Baxter in 96 and it probably isn't ready for Baxter in 2021 either. Like for me, Baxter (laughs) is every bit as enigmatic and cool as seems so heavy was two years later. And it could have been this huge statement, but it would have outweighed every other track on the album. So, you know, cohesiveness, not by design, but by mistake. (laughs)
0: Yeah, to me, like this album feels and I mean this is me once again, speculation to the max, recorded under rough circumstances, you know what I mean? Like the drums are, seem to be all recorded in like one or two sessions, one go. <clears throat> they sound very similar. The rest of everything else, sort of very Spartan, very punk, kind of just played very basically, um, with, you know, the technology that they had, and then shined up a bit later, you know, in terms of adding the sheen of horns and the way that it was mixed the percussion those decisions later what to put in the mix uh extreme panning and that kind of thing kind of give it the the the, the voice that you end up with at the end mm. you know i think that the recording of it was probably done hastily Well, we know it was recorded over the course of just a couple of weeks uh, and then the decisions after the fact kind of really give it its feel and look and vibe so
1: i mean it was recorded um, it's over- funny it was recorded over a couple of weeks to interject, Rob, but it was done on their own time. So they're not paying, you know, the Waterfront Studios in Hoboken, you know, a million dollars a minute, you know, so they still have right. that. I, I feel as though they're still at their own leisure. Like it still has that vibe of, we're totally fine with uh, coming up with this track next weekend or, you know, f- finalizing the mix on this track in two weeks. Like that's something that you hear on never heard the end of it totally as well.
2: Well, I'm, I'm just going to go in and, in- Say too, this is if I'm not mistaken, this would be the first Sloan album where, well, we we might have to fact check this when when B1000 by Guided by Voices came out. But you know, lo fi is thrown around, but like and Guided by Voices are, are the lo fi kings. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what my you could cut this out again when you're <laughs> no, Rob, I'll, you? I'll,
0: I'll finish the thought there. I mean, for me, anyway. Uh, Obviously, the guys are into Guided by Voices, no question. You know what I mean? And and and, and you could argue even earlier payment albums, maybe a little bit. <clears throat> but to me, the thing, I mean, and, and, and Guided by Voices are awesome for what they are. But I mean, these guys are making Sloan, are making pronouns, are making totally listenable, perfect, radio-ready power pop. Uh, whereas Guided by Voices, I don't think, are really interested in making something you're going to hear on the radio. I mean, like, they've or, got, or like, ever, you know, songs right. like songs like teenage FBI and kind of in that sort of thing is sort of as far as they got. Um, but, um, anyway, I don't know if that was the point as intended, but I did want to take a step back here just for a second. What's that?
2: Sorry. Just talking about the sound. Just, uh, you know, like it's not the, like this is when you look at the whole discography, this is Sloan's lo-fi album, but it's not a, um, it's not, it's, that's just how it, how it sounds. Um, yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say, Ralph? I
0: was going to say, we have the opportunity here to quickly touch on, uh, Ken, you mentioned Sloan being the, or this album being sort of more in line with the Wu-Tang Clan. I know that the guys, I don't know who came up with this, but I know Jay's sort of, one of his nicknames is Jay <laughs> because obviously in Canada we say Z not Z. So I'm sort of speculating about what their hip-hop names would be. I think so we got Jay Andrew would probably be Batman, which was his name from Oreo Reverse.
1: That's the only option
0: yeah Um, and so i'm trying to think about what patrick and chris would what would they be maybe chris would be the platypus i don't know yeah Uh,
1: (laughs) i think it would have to be like chris would have to be like a c it would have to be an initial name like a cmm
2: or something like a mccmm or something yeah
0: c note or something
2: yeah cmm and double p (laughs) round it off
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it big oh yeah sorry patrick would be big p there you go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Guys, Were anyway, can we tell them we're, to right? that we're white guys yes. from the suburbs? Does that does that app- <laughs> is that apparent in this podcast? <laughs> well, actually,
2: I, go back to the to the skits thing. You the album kind of starts off with a skit because <laughs> Oh it does, yeah. And you guys can can speak to the uh to to where that's from and everything, but like you know, when you're playing the album for somebody, you're like sort of like You know what is is this? Is this a live album? Like, and you know, I think the the cut is is distinguishable enough that you know it's that was just sampled at the beginning. It's not a live album, but um, there's something to that as the intro to the to the album that um, it's it's sort of like a Wu Tang thing, like like you know Wu Tang sampling the old. you know like kung fu movies and like that grainy mm. sampling and then it's like you t- you put on this album and the first thing you hear is you know you could i, I want rob to do the uh the the pardo uh version
0: don pardo oh <laughs> my god so yeah like an, a dream SNL episode you know like who's your favorite comedian or whatever you know like i don't know who would it be
1: let's like, jim uh, carrey yeah, no. doing the hosting well jim carrey yeah. hosted um i'm trying to think of somebody who oh, didn't who host. didn't host all right Conan, who didn't be, uh, Conan didn't host. Who, who's the that?
0: Conan O'Brien? Yeah. Jesus. So it would be like, uh, so Dream SNL appearance, 96, would be like, you know, uh, it's Saturday Night Live with your host, Conan O'Brien, musical guest Sloan. You know, like in a perfect world, that episode exists, you know.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm just stroking myself. Here. But anyway. Tom is introducing Sloan. And that's how this album starts. He's he comes out of the booth to say, (laughs) Will you please welcome to the stage?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gives everybody a free sample of Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat, or whatever. Um (laughs) But yeah, you're right, man. You're right on the money. Like this album is is weird. You're right in the way that it it opens that way. You know, there are sounds on this that you don't hear on any other Mm -hmm. album. Uh, and again, I come back to the whole thing of this is one for them. You know, they're not necessarily like the other albums have a sheen to them, which is, you know, and obviously I'm not saying that Sloan are a band that are necessarily sort of wanting to remain inside a box or something like mm. this is what an album should sound like. They're, they're not following any rules necessarily. But this is a good example of this one is just whatever, you know, like yeah. it's whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah. And then it's going to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like who else ends uh, ends their album? You know who? Who else going through a major ends their album with 400 meters?
0: Yeah. Like, which again, man, like oh, from the backwards guitar to the harmonies. At the time when I heard this, I'm obviously picturing the four of them playing it in the studio, or at least imagining <laughs> that a couple of them are working on it. And then in later years to hear that it's all Andrew, you know what I mean? Is just insane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're all around the mic, covering the one ear or whatever. But <laughs> it's, uh, you
1: got the Womack and Womack <laughs> session going on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly it used but to, yeah it's, it was, it's crazy it, transparency. it used to like I used to think like when I first heard it like I when I first heard the album I thought 400 meters was my least favorite probably still is to this to this day my least favorite of, of the album but I used to be like man it, it it the album was almost perfect in the way that like Rubber Soul Almost perfect, but there's, as we referred to earlier in the episode, like the shitty country. So, what goes on is fine, but like it's whatever. It's, it, it, it it makes the album, it's whatever. It's the obvious weak spot of the album. Nobody can argue that. But
1: like, would you have um, ended, would you have ended the album with Baxter instead?
2: Well, I don't know. I, I can't change, I would, I refuse to change it anything. And I've come to love 400 meters. It's so weird. It's such a, it's such a, it's such a cool send off like the mm. you know i i one of my friends always describes like loves a fade out because it's like the it's like a band the album is a parade and the band is just like <laughs> like there's no better example of that than 400 meters That's because true. of the fade in and the fade out it's just like
0: yeah you
2: know this this is it's a great transition to like andrew's weirder stuff on navy blues mm. like i like that Kind of acts as that transition. I love the song though. It's, it's, um, I love the different sections. It's quintessentially Andrew. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's definitely like the artier, the artsiest moment on, on an otherwise very accessible album, right? Which is cool. Yeah. Like some people were probably, I know pe- I have friends who, who are big Andrew guys and they like live for that moment on, on the totally. album. So it's like, totally. that's a great thing. That's like such a great thing about the band that like one man's like, this is the lowest point on the album is another man's like, this is the best, this is the highest point on the album. Yeah. That's like how many bands have that? For, for so, Not, so few. Yeah.
1: Okay. So if we're talking, we just talked about sort of what makes the album important from like in the, in the, timeline of the band and in the band's career but musically like what makes this album great and we talked about the drum sound as being the one thing that stands out especially for you guys cuz you have an affinity for the instrument um you know so maybe we can dote on that for a minute like is this is this the first album where that andrew drum sound happens do you mean well, like you can't,
2: you can't have a you can't have a discussion on one chord to another without bringing up the uh, the supergrass uh, connection, sure. um, which for people who don't know, um, Murphy sees supergrass some at some point in between twice removed in one chord, and he's watching their drummer uh, Danny. What's his name? Danny, uh, whatever his last name is, I think it's Danny, Danny
0: Supergrass. I think is his
2: name. Danny Supergrass. He's <laughs> <laughs> him, and and he's watching this guy do. His version of Keith moon and he's going well that that needs to be that needs to be our how we do it and um, so yeah that's a great point that sloan it clicks on this album because andrew andrew's andrew the drummer arrives on this album because it's the drums are great on the fr- he's he's doing dave girl on on smeared obviously and it's great and he's and he's more reserved mm. on, on twice removed. Um, but one chord is where the bombastic fills rapid fire Keith Moon style fills are coming into play. You think of G turns the D as an example. Um, and he's doing it right off the, right off the bat in, in uh, good and everyone. And let's, and not only, not only good does good and everyone have the intro, it but it it has Sloane's most iconic drum moment, which is the, you know, bop boom bop boom ba da 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 You know, like the that's as he it's a singable drum part. There mm-hmm. the, that's it's the first singable drum part, original drum part, because you know, Underwhelm as I love the drum intro more than anything, but it is aneurysm <laughs> by Obama, So like um <laughs> You know, so um I don't know where I'm going, but but yeah, like it's it's drum wise, it's it's the beginning of of an era which you know if you if if it's argued that this is the album where Sloan found their formula, then a big part of that is is the drum style. Yes. You can't yeah. you know, there are more bands, you know, like um you know, like Thrush Herman are great and everything, but like there's no you know there's a million reasons why X band is not sloan but like drumming is is one of them for sure it's so hard to do what andrew does you know
0: the drums are are such an interesting topic for me with sloan because the because it is such a unique sound and you have a combination of the decision that's made in terms of what's being played and then the player who's playing it and that kind of changes between andrew and chris a little bit right so it's important to talk about the fact that with one chord specifically, and I'm sure this has occurred in other albums as well. And, and I know there are probably songs where I'm thinking it's Andrew playing and it's, it's actually Chris hmm. approximating Andrew, you know. Um, but, you know, Chris would have recorded the demos for this record for the majority of the songs, obviously the non-Andrew songs. And then Andrew would be doing a reasonable facsimile in one go himself, sure. kind of putting his sort of sheen on it, if you will. Um and and it's interesting to me because I do like you know you were just saying Aaron I mean I recall the quotes about Chris mentioning seeing Supergrass and so on and I obviously I was aware of Supergrass at the time and I like some of their stuff but I never really saw Danny Supergrass as that dynamic of a player like to me like he seems a little stiffer than Keith you know and I mean That's, so I think maybe the thing that they were picking up on was not necessarily playing the drums to to just support the song. And I think a good example of that would be Twice Removed, where it's Mm. more just about kind of supporting what's happening and staying out of the way. Whereas with one chord on, it's you want to have a little something, a little flourish right after that line? Like, sure. And that's what Keith was great at, you know, like Mm. not necessarily playing with the music, but sort of just – Having a sense of randomness about it and, and sort of more excitement, yeah. Um. So I, I I think I feel like that's maybe what was happening with the supergrass influence, where it's not just we're not just going to play the song. I'm going to fill through this whole fucking verse, hmm. know, that kind of thing. Lead
2: it, um,
1: It's the yeah, and, and I. No, I was just going to say it's the do your shit mentality of of the band. It's 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 that laissez faire. You know what? Fuck it. We got nothing to lose. Do your shit mentality, and. This yeah. is Andrew showing off his virtuosity. Like, imagine they, the band was this close to getting a new drummer in early '95. They were talking about what if we do Sloan without Andrew? Like, imagine that. What the hell would it, you know, like that would not have been Sloan.
0: You know, unless it was me, I can't imagine. You know? But I mean, I was like, I was like 15 at the time. I wasn't ready. I just got my first drum kit, so you know. <clears throat> anyway, um, I'm still waiting for that like 60 minute Andrew Smoke break where I just play the whole show. But anyway, one can dream. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, what was I going to say? The thing I was trying to remember earlier that I wanted to say was that this band is a perfect fucking example of. And I'm, it's it's hard to find bands like this. I, they they rarely exist where. You know that there's an influence there. You know that, oh, I feel the edges of that influence. But it's gone through that artist's filter, whether it be Andrew or Patrick, Chris, or Jay. And it doesn't sound so much like the influence. It just sounds like them. You know, Mm. and I think when we were talking earlier, Aaron, about 400 meters, that is true for me. There are very beatle guitar things going on in there, background, or sorry, background backwards, backwards yeah. guitars rather um but that song is very much an andrew song it's not like oh that's andrew copying this guy it sounds like him and that and that's that speaks again to the thing where these guys are really solidifying their identity on this record you know so i hear the supergrass story but for me this is more about you know chris was playing wild drums and fills in carney lake road six seven eight years earlier in the late 80s mm. if you listen to those tracks um so again those identifiable earmarks were there, and they kind of just, they seem to resurface as the band kind of finds themselves and stops maybe not, I don't want to say not worrying about what you know, the listener is going to think we're trying to produce something that sounds like a certain style. Again, with one chord, they're really just saying, this one's for us. What do we like? We like crazy drums. So let's do crazy drums. Let's have them sound all over and blown and record them on a ghetto blaster. You know, like it's, it's, it's cost-effective and it's going to sound rad, rad. You know, we like backwards guitar. We like a weird intro with the guy saying the name from Edgefest 95 and we like this and that, and we're just going to put all the stuff we like into one album and what, you know, whatever. And then they just hit, the jackpot it fucking worked hmm. um and i will argue the most iconic <laughs> drum moment i would say yeah the intro to good and everyone is probably the most known it's the one that if you say but to any sloan fan they're gonna go you know but for me the most iconic moment is the fucking marquee in the moon <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? anyway i just gotta put that i just gotta put that out there because i don't oh, know yeah. what we're gonna talk about between yeah. the bridges again
2: <laughs> maybe best if we did best well we can save that for for uh spoiler <laughs> uh, potential drum centric episode, but you know, oh, if yeah. we top 10 Dr- Sloan fills, you uh, have Mark. The Shit. This is the, this but, is coming um, up in yeah. Sloan cast year five. There you go. <laughs> um But uh, it just, I'm thinking of things, things we haven't discussed. I love before I heard a note of music and I say this in, in my first appearance on Sloan cast, but like before I heard a note of music, it was this and it was Okta and Navy Blues album art oh, that yeah. that made me excited. Hmm. And um it Okta might be my favorite album art. It's, it's Navy Blues is so good, but like I there's something you know there's something so cool about about the album art, but the fact that it's it's, like, it's it's kind of like the album itself. It's like kind of psychedelic mm. and, and and warped because it's such a bizarre, you can't even figure out what's going on. Are they, are they leaning? Like, what is it? Are they on a pyramid? What is, what is this? Um, and so it's, they're shooting out of the corner basically. And, um, you know, uh, it just grabs you. It's, it's so, it, it, it sounds like the album. Like, I love that there's a, a you know, 'Cause Jay's got the Mustang, which is so cool to mm. it it's it, it sounds like the album again, mm. but like the uh there's the stereo receiver mm. um that uh, Andrew's holding and this set it's such so indicative of the album. The album is such a it's the ultimate stereo album. Now what would be it would be interesting if, if they released a mono version. Uh, that kind sounds be, yeah. You know, they already did the box but, uh, That's right. I uh, missed out to remix it but I don't know just the art the art is it's perfect the the way it is the the font that's used the Helvetica light um, yeah you
0: look at the the album artwork with you know the records that were coming out at the time and you know I'm trying to think of an example but I mean like this is like like you're saying Aaron like this is like how the album was recorded and how it sounds in a way I don't want to say cost cost effective but it's like iconic it's simple you know and the album is that in a way too and I don't mean to say simple in terms of like you know how expansive it is and how how wonderful it sounds, but I just mean like it's it's kind of cutting it right down to the core, you know,
2: mm-hmm. and yeah. um, basic elements. It's and it starts, you know, so many things. The Sloan sound kind of uh, this is the jump off point, but also for the for the art too, because like they would go on to have other color scheme, you know, like mm-hmm. a band photo doctored in some way, color scheme. They do it again on navy blues to to an extent they do it on double cross obviously um you know every they that became a, a motif and and uh it starts it starts on one chord this is all you know i'm trying to, to coat everything in the in the um i don't know what i'm trying to say i'm, I'm trying to coat everything with with the why why is octa so important yeah. at 25 yeah. you know yeah
0: <laughs> it's it's hard to mess with it it's iconic it 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 visually hasn't aged a day like it just you you pick it up today and it's just like that album artwork looks amazing you know whereas i mean i don't want to this would probably be my 25th time shitting on widemouth mason but i mean i recall an album cover where they're all a cartoon of them Mm -hmm. putting their hands up and they're shooting an alien in the sky or like you know tea parties (laughs) like you know uh, uh, the cemetery plot Uh, you know like (laughs) this is fucking classic looking it looks fucking amazing 25 years later it's awesome and it's got my other favorite thing my other favorite album artwork trope whether you're talking about spaceman 3 or whatever but instruments on an album cover and i Mm. think that's why i love this one an action pack too like i Mm. love that you see the sticks and the guitars yeah just classic so we've got a we've got a list of things for album 13. so skits okay so like you know instrument on the album cover
2: Just to have those Baxter. things, Baxter, yeah, and Baxter, and we're pretty
1: much set. Baxter is the single. <laughs> um Speaking of singles, everything you've done wrong, like gateway drug for me to the band, and I want to kind of maybe touch on this album's influence and this album's importance in pop music, especially in Canada. But you know, me being a like a preteen or an early teenager, I guess I would have been a preteen at that point in time still, but. Um, and being, you know, obsessed with the second wave of Beatlemania and just being so receptive to hearing everything you've done wrong, uh, on, on, on much music essentially. Cause I wasn't necessarily hearing it on the radio that much, but it was on, it was on huge rotation on much music. Um, mm. and that was so like, no other band was doing that. It was a Beastie Boys-esque music video. Like if there's it. Those art videos. If there's one parallel for me, then it's 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 Beastie Boys, right? That's that kind of like film referential production style and kind of tongue in cheek, they like, like they you, inhabit
0: it. Yeah, they inhabit a universe
1: in a way. Yeah, fake mustaches and shit. So you know <laughs> that that music video combined with that horn riff, and obviously mm. the like the, the 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 swing of the song and, and 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 the lyrical content, whatever. But that horn riff, like how. What happened? Like, what happened in, in Canadian pop rock music in the mid 90s to let this become the gateway drug for so many young people to this band? You know, why wasn't it coaxed me? Why wasn't it underwhelmed?
0: I think a confluence of things happened at the time. Like I said, like this band made a record for them, they recorded something that they would have liked, and it just happened to strike, at, you know, like a preparation and opportunity collided and here we go and i was gonna say if on the stephen cook episode you recall he mentioned sort of offhandedly mentioning like oh yeah i was there when they did the horns for everything you done wrong and it was like oh that sounds cool you know which to me is like mind-blowing the Mm -hmm. idea of that song firstly not having those horns on it but also being there when they're being recorded and hearing that for the first time and what a revelation it must have been. Um, cause this song sounds like it wasn't recorded at all. It sounds like it came just from another fucking universe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That like, this whole album, but this song in particular too, um, it doesn't sound yeah, like it's, anything
2: it's, else. Um, it's chaos on the, I always, always return and everybody should return to the Sloan 20 20th anniversary videos. Cause they're so well done. Uh, mm-hmm. shout out, Kathleen Stockhausen. Yeah. Um, they're so well done but there's so many great points made and they're so quotable and I think it was chaos uh the artist chaos who has like all of a sudden it's you know it's like welcome back cotter it's like on an album on this on this you know alternative album and it's just like and to me that's awesome like I don't I don't view it as like um you know it's it. and and we we've touched on this before but it's like the way horns are used here it's so tasteful mm. it's not stupid. it's yes. not like they're not used like exclamation points they're used like fucking m dashes or something mm. <laughs> like they're like mm. is there's there's stylistically the right thing like i love i don't get me wrong i love live versions of everything you've done wrong where um, you know, Chris and and Gregory and and I guess Andrew are doing the you know singing the horn part. That's so much fun. But um, it 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 might it would be, it would be a lesser studio recording because the horns are so it's makes it so sunny and and just the I don't know. It's the perfect thing, and it's not it's not corny. It's not it doesn't change the genre at all. Mm. That's what I like. I. That's my favorite type type of horns on like like yeah. you look at like a Beatles song like Good Morning Good Morning mm-hmm. that's like super oh, horn true. based and it's like that's not ta- that doesn't that doesn't make that song jazz all of a sudden it just makes the song, it gives it this like crazy texture and i think that's like w- the textures on this album you know the horn the horns on that the horns on Take the Bench yeah. um and and there and you know there's obvious um it's not just it's not just what would the Beatles do. It's what would the Stones do. You know, like uh, I think uh, the first time I heard, I really was, really listened to um, "Exile on Main Street." Mm-hmm. Right away on rock off mm-hmm. with the horns, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what Sloan was going for on yeah. on "Take the Back. It's a really good parallel. Um,
0: And another good parallel, if I could say quickly, things that Beatles and the Stones and those classic albums have in common, which is great taste. You know, those artists Mm -hmm. had great taste. They made good decisions. And so when we're talking about the horns here, Aaron, you know, it's less real big fish and more like I think about, uh, something that's like a really tasteful horn moment would be like the, the last waltz, the band. And they, they do what makes no difference. And at the end, just when you think the song's over, Garth Hudson steps up and comes into the spotlight and plays this, like, I don't know what horn he's playing with this beautiful little tempered solo. I, I kind of have that feeling, you know, where it's just right. this timeless feel good moment where you can't imagine the song without that part.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it took, and- it, it took take the bench. If you listen to that demo from the twice removed era, which sounded like this is a call pretty much. It took Take the Bench from sort of a, okay, all right, Chris, you're, you, you've you've got a filler track to- This is a call
2: being the Foo Fighters song. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, around. yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, how do you not know? Uh, but um, <laughs> where were you in 94? But um, <laughs> the you know it took that just to a different level. And I look forward to that moment listening to that song all the time. You which admittedly is not my favorite song in the catalog, but I look forward to that moment because it's so ethereal and wow. it works so well
2: it's the best i I always get chills when when that happens it's so well done it's just so tasteful but to go back to the videos and everything you've done wrong I think um i just a a, a shout out to to Patrick for because I mean like he's bringing his on this album. He's, he's bringing his own influence. We've, it's been mentioned before on this, on this podcast, how, um, you know, like initially, you know, Jay and Chris were kind of like, Whoa, what are are you doing with the wah pedal (laughs) on, uh, on good and everyone? This is not, we don't do that, but allowing him to do that. But then he also, it's a scratching of each other's backs kind of thing. He, he was able to write in a style, um, that totally went against like his influences. Mm. He did it for, mm. for the greater good of, of the band for the album. Like everything you've done wrong is not the type of music that Patrick listens to. The fact that he's able to write it blows my mind, yeah. you know, cause I can only, you know, as somebody who writes songs myself, like I can, I can't imagine writing something I wouldn't listen to myself, mm. but like, that's a, uh, you know ace up the sleeve for for sloan the fact that they can you know patrick can at least at that point was was doing that sort of thing yeah
0: another good example um, of that real quick we'll oh,
2: start ahead no, no no i got nothing
0: i was gonna say i mean like patrick's doing it in 95 with the way he sort of leaned into same old flame and on the same mm-hmm. album like it's hard for me to listen to take the bench without can't face up those two just kind of live together you know like oh and, and that's for sure that's him true, just going like Oh, you got to take the bench. Well, I've got can't face up, and 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 he, like you said, he's able to sort of um, allow himself to sort of meld into that style and to into that way of of writing and recording, and yeah, he 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 has his extreme with good and everyone,
2: but also was able to kind of fall in line.
1: Yeah. Hand claps, yeah. right? I mean, hand claps all over the place. Are
2: huge are are you know like and and you know there are you know, there are maracas on, on twice removed right off the bat in mm. pen pals, but mm. like they're very, very muted. Very, um, obviously if you see them do pen pals live now, Gregory's killing it on the maracas, you know, it's a, that's a very prominent, but like one chord is bold, bold music decisions with those, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, accompanying instruments with the, with the maracas and, and the hand claps are right there, you know, lead hand claps. It's like, mm again what would not what would the beatles do but what would it could be any like they're looking at the zombies they're looking mm. at it's 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 they're looking at just timeless shit yeah
0: it could even be argued that hand claps and per- maracas and percussion are higher or at least equal in the mix to the drum kit the mm, snare sound that's like right. and yeah. it's just such a unique production decision uh it gives it a really refreshing sound
1: well and that also has to do with how the drums were recorded cuz you can't if the snare if you're recording on a four track you can't raise the snare like you're going to raise the overheads when you raise the snare or whatever like so that you have to find ways of adding texture to the mix which they do brilliantly you know there are interesting exceptions though because if you listen to and we talked about cohesiveness but if you listen to um like whatever autobiography and then you listen to any anyone who's anyone those are two yeah. completely different production concepts. And Anyone Who's Anyone was like the moment when... So when I got into Arta, we talked about this in our introductory episode as well. Like Arta wasn't the sticking point for me, for the band. I got into Sloan with Arta maybe in like late 96, early 97, whenever uh, everything you'd done wrong was, was all over much music. And I listened to the album and I liked it, but Navy Blues was for me the clincher. But the one thing... The one thing that really stood out to me was "Anyone Who's Anyone," because like nothing else, I don't think I'd heard any song like that before, both vocally and kind of from a from a production standpoint. I, you know, I wasn't very well versed as a twelve or thirteen year old or whatever uh, in, in in music at that point in time, but this is like the standout song on the album for me. Is "Anyone Who's Anyone" is like if you if you tell me to pick a song that I really think couldn't exist anywhere else in the catalog and is, is the real kind of hook uh, on the album. That's going to be it. And it's the one song where, you know, to quote Bob Dylan on Gordon Lightfoot, I just wish it would never end when I listen to it. I just wish like, I wish it were like 12 minutes longer, you know?
2: I totally agree with that. I love, there's something about that song. It's so rocking. It's so driving. The obvious reference point is, um, Armenia, city in the sky by the who, sure. um, but, um, but that, I mean, I say that's obvious, but that's, you know, that's, it's not that, that that's an obscure enough song that again, they're, they're calling their influences in a, in a way that, you know, if, if for, for fans, they're, they're fans making music for fans. Mm. So like somebody likes the who a lot, they're picking up on that and they're digging it. Yeah. Um, such a driving song and um i the the way the way the chorus builds builds up to that you know the all together now that's like to it's also it's so obviously other bands that sang all together now you know people <laughs> um but like the fact it's just so it, the the three i think it's three part harmony on the on the they obviously do three it part is. harmony live yeah. I think it's they do the three three part mm-hmm. on on the mm-hmm. the introduction of that too um it's such a it's such a climax um Mm. it's it's such it's the songwriting on that is like you said very hard to picture that on any other album it's such a cool song
1: imagine if he did anyone who's anyone as pictures now like because for me pictures now is like oh well you listened to dr robert yesterday or you know whatever (laughs) but it's you know, you have that panning. You have the tambourine in one channel. It's like, okay, well, that would have been basically autobiography part two. But anyone who's anyone, you never, you don't find a song like that again in their catalog. But it, it doesn't seem out of place. It just, it's not like HFX and SHC, which is a gag. Speaking of of skits, um, right? You know, it's it's he's taking this seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: It's like it, it's there, it, there are a few songs where you would look at the demo and then the, the finished product that are more desperate than you know like uh, pictures now and anyone is anyone they don't sound anything like each other hmm. you know like you hear pictures now and you're like oh that's obviously where that song eventually went or whatever but um, yeah like you mentioned the who influence here and I mean it's obvious that <clears throat> the delete button was hit and it was just like okay this song is getting a complete restructure I think the song also they were making things for for themselves but it's it's a great it's a song that really translates live as well mm. like i remember the Varsity oh, yeah. arena show in 97 they opened the show with it mm. you know and i think it maybe even if i recall i mean we're talking like almost 25 years ago if i can recall you know that the show even began with a slow kind of just like ging 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 ging, ging or like an extended intro mm. and then finally just chris hitting the vocal and the whole band kind of kicks in great way to intro a show and like other classic songs, I'm trying to think of an example of one. Like, this is a bad example, but like "Take on Me" by Aha, where <laughs> no, it's nice. it's not just a great song, but it's like a unique and kind of compelling vocal performance. Mm. It's like, whoa, that guy can sing that high. Neat. It's 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 beyond just a performance. It's it's a physical feat, yeah. you know. And when you look at yeah. Chris, not only on the record, but you know, you look at the footage of them playing Snow Job '97 or any of the footage at the time of him doing any was anyone he's not just singing a song like he's singing a really long note and in, in its full voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like things can happen when we, and he hits it and he goes all the way up. His voice soars. And that happens a couple of times in the song.
2: Um, a really and unique production-wise, it's, it's blending in with the guitars. The guitars are coming in from every yeah. channel the backwards they're forward. It's, it's, well, and this is the lo-fi uh, thing
1: as well, right? This is you're using gain as an instrument. You're not using it as a production, whatever, but you're actually using the gain on the tracks as an instrument to complement all of the other instruments. Yeah,
0: and and you mentioned the three part harmony in the break, Aaron. Too later in the song, this is a song I think that really came into its own too. I mean, the record, the recorded version is amazing, but when you see them doing it live, especially you know within about a year after it came out, I can't remember if they played it on the Junos or some other TV show because somebody somewhere somebody must have decided, okay, anyone who's anyone is going to be the song that we play on like talk shows or whatever, Hmm. you know, at some point after they maybe got through the singles, and they decided or the 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 decision must have been made that we're going to you know uh, edit the song slightly so that towards the end um you know uh how it going? i'm blanking on the lyric but when they get to uh, we're all together now when they play it live they all stop mm. and they sing that three-part uh harmony the decision was obviously made okay let's make this section like really produced live you know mm. like we're going to really highlight the vocal prowess here and um so every time i hear the song i can't help but hear that part with it where they all stop live and, and the vocal kind of hits mm. um anyway just a unique moment kind of going back into what i was saying earlier about chris holding the long note
1: yeah so top for, for me top five visual moments of seeing Sloan either live or on TV or whatever. Uh we talked about this earlier as well. Like number 1 obviously watching Andrew drumming. Number 2 is watching Chris trying to replicate Andrew drumming. Uh number 3 is probably watching Chris trying to hit the high notes on these songs like this is is the case here, is the case with she says what she means as well. And like you can even then a little bit of a struggle, you know, to do that live. And that's so entertaining to watch just like the energy is putting into that. And for what- he's doing it though yeah
0: man, <laughs> he's nailing
1: it you know so for
2: percent there's a video that exists i'm trying to find it as we speak okay maybe i can if i do this because there's footage of professionally shot footage of sloan I, I, you guys might know what it what it was maybe it was filmed for a potential live dvd or something but um Sloan, I, there's Sloan G doing G turns to the D, which we haven't talked about, um, in Grand Rapids and they also do, it's just from like the Never Hear the End of It era uh, if you search, I'm gonna try oh, searching yeah, Sloan yeah, yeah. Grand Rapids right now um, or Sloan, okay, here it is Sloan at, if you, if you YouTube search Sloan at intersection Sloan at intersection. I'm doing it I'm doing it with you, listener um, <laughs> <laughs> the the third video uh the f- first video is people of the sky second video is hate my generation third video is anyone who's anyone killer uh performance of that it's professionally shot um danny grinnell whoever whoever that is uh he should be a slow cast guest because these videos are uh, i return to often the um he did the never hear the end of it era videos live videos and it's really great that's all i wanted to say just if you want a really good performance, mm. of anyone check it out because mm. um you know Murphy's killing it and like another uh, you know these songs like if people people who were lucky enough to see the the um twentieth anniversary show these these songs uh were so so good live uh, it was mm. so good as a set like I think um Chris talked about like being fearful that twice removed was would have kind of been like a downer mm. um. Felt like a downer like performing that in its entirety mm-hmm. where and yeah and then one chord comes in um and it's a lot more fun um i don't want to reduce the album to be like oh this is a fun album but like at the end of the day isn't that all you isn't that what you want yeah. for music yeah. don't you want to have a good time like yeah. yeah so anyway check that check that video out and then the if you if you search Sloan G turns the D in Grand Rapids, that's another unbelievable video. Same show. uh, Andrew go nuts on that big blue uh, Visa light. uh, Yeah. But G turns the D I mean, like, so here's the other thing. Like um, this album is like, I pen pals had it um, to an extent, obviously underwhelmed is funny. Um, But Chris, the lyricist is, uh, is, is, Arrives at at one chord mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, all of his songs are funny mm-hmm. on it. Like no, nothing left to make me want to stay is like, um, you know, it, it's it's not, these song, And when I again, when I say that, I'm not talking like, um, you know, I don't. I'm not into like songs to be like, ho, 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 you know, like if, you know, <laughs> somebody tells, I uh, Then again, I like Tenacious D. Whatever point is um you know like the lyrics are are very this is where chris becomes chris i feel like cuz like g turns a d d what a what a song topic mm. you know yeah, the, it's, uh, yeah. you know there is every people the, there's you don't need to know the history because it's the history is it's in the song, the song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and this is another element that really comes to the forefront in this album is is chris is literally writing auto, an an autobiography but like this is chris is the one who's most explicit i think he's the one who wears his heart on his sleeve uh okay that's referencing another song but um he's the one who's really putting it out there in terms of like this is my life you know um and i think that that works out in a better way here than it does on twice removed you know i think of like bells on where it kind of the lyrics can kind of seem a little bit angsty and they can kind of seem a little bit like purposefully tongue in cheek and a little bit forced. Whereas if you compare that to a song like G Turns to D, where the lyrics work out perfectly with the music. And if you think about it, he actually wrote the lyrics I believe afterwards, like the, the final lyrical content and the story that's being told just happened like to fit into that music that he'd written. It's pretty astonishing.
2: And I love that the the album's title comes from I like that when when an album's title comes from a lyric in the song, oh, yeah. it's not the because Sloan has no true title track with the exception of Pretty Together, uh, but that's not doesn't count because it's not on Pretty Together. Uh, is this the only? No, because in in Navy, I'm having a discussion with myself here. But Navy, you know, he said they say Sergeant uh, Captain everything of Station Navy Blue on Navy Blues. So I guess they do it again. But um that might be it. Those might be and the only on, two. And,
0: and Flying High Again says never hear the end of it.
2: Of course, it's, it's, of course. It, it
0: happens it happens a little bit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's always a cool it's a cool trick. It's a perfect title for the for this album because yeah. I mean I just to just to test it out, I went um before we recorded, I was uh, you know, I was seeing if I could get glean anything from learning these song you know, some of these songs acoustically. Um you know, for me for me, um maybe people can relate to this, but like sometimes I like to not know how the song goes so it can live the the enigma of the song can just I live in my brain, so I'm not when I'm hearing it. I'm not hearing like, oh, this is F or whatever. But like at the same time, that's also a good way to like get into the song and go like, oh my god, like the songwriting of it. Um, and uh, but it's a perfect title for them because there's so many fucking chords. Um, <laughs> and shout out to uh, Adam. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Adam's uh, Prince Elf.
1: Adam's chord what is it called Angelfire.com slash grenfell that that was adam from ottawa who i collaborated with on my first guitar tabs for i think the one i did with him was uh was it's in your eyes
2: oh how about that shout out to him though for having a better sloan chord for having better sloan chords than ultimate guitar but um just uh, it, it wor- the the title works so well for the album. Another funny uh, funny thing that I just learned today. Um, I I just always it's it's a funny little inside joke for for Sloan to have done. But on on G turns to D, um, it's actually uh, G is uh, in the song according to Adam. G is turning actually to D over F sharp. Um, so that's like. That's like Sloan in a nutshell. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, funny, a funny inversion of of the lyric. Interesting chord change that, mm. you know, like I, a lesser band would just do. And it would be funny. It would still be funny. G turns the D. But the fact that they're doing it slightly different um, so that, you know, it's not the song's not just a tutorial on how to play it. I mean, I love that. I just always love that.
0: And the F, uh, the F is the F is almost like his, his attitude in the song, you know, like F
2: <laughs> stole like, my game you know. or whatever. I love it.
0: <laughs> and, and you mentioned song songwriting, speaking of songwriting, um, we, we've talked previously about, and in the band have as well, talking about Jay kind of coming to his own with between the bridges mm-hmm. and Andrew and stuff where they're, where they have equal real estate on the record or whatever, but for me like god i love the J songs on the previous album but god damn junior panthers Mm. holy shit like a a song that when i first heard the album i think kind of i i i soaked it in but i i I don't i definitely didn't appreciate it as much as i have since and do now and a big time appreciation was built um i think it was the end of 2019 i want to say um yeah i i was asked um by some musicians in toronto former members of the golden dogs and zeus and bahamas and daniel duval some some amazing local musicians were doing a sloan tribute and they do this i guess once in a while it's the uh illegal group uh the, the group that kind of produce all those records that sort of family of artists and so uh they know i'm a big fan obviously because i kind of wear it on my sleeve and i play drums blah blah, blah. so i got to play the, some of the songs of the show and it really became apparent to everybody in the room uh the quality of the songwriting Mm. and the nuance that it takes to 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 perform the songs when you go into a room with Fantastic musicians and see them try to replicate these songs. And especially, I remember uh, Junior Panth- Dan- Pan. Eh. I remember Junior Panthers was one where everybody was like, "Man, like if you're not nuanced here, like if you're not on the money, you completely lose the vibe of the song. Like if the song's <laughs> a little too fast, a little too slow, you know, if, if the guitar isn't played just so." And, and that really speaks to the magic of this whole album, and obviously the band as a whole. Because we were playing for that show, like we were running up and down the gamut of their discography. Mm. But I remember. uh Junior Panthers specifically was one where I noted to myself, I was just like, wow, like there's something going on there. There's a magic combination of things um, that really produced the, what you finally hear, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you have to be very careful. And it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier about there being like a, a taste quality there. You sure. know, these guys yeah. have that in space, you know? Um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of m- mention that, get that in there, uh, because, how about, because uh, these, yeah.
2: No, I was just going to, how about Jay's? Um performance of it on jay's side door show is acoustic on classical guitar mm-hmm. version of junior yeah. um another another way that i i saw the song and went like oh my god this is uh this is so next level it, it's like yeah. um you know beach boys are an obvious uh mm-hmm. touchstone mm-hmm. for for that song and for jay in general but like um it's so like you said, Rob, it's so nuanced. That's it's so, there's such a vibe, such a mood mm-hmm. on that. Side. And, and I love, I love that for the album. It it takes, um, it couldn't, it couldn't come at a better time. Like, you know, I'd be fine if the album stayed in the same vein, you know, all the way through. But when junior Panthers hits, um, mm-hmm. At that gives you. It's like okay, there's so much more depth to this band um, than than I was ready for. Sure. This this separates Sloan from from a Weezer, you know, from a oh yeah. whatever, from a uh, whoever else. You know?
0: This album, more than any of them, really separates them from every other band. Like they are next level. Like I've said in previous episodes, like that little wing quote, like you know, need a space shuttle or a ladder that's forever. They've completely superseded everybody else, you know. Uh, and they're taking that perfect combination of nuance and just incredible musicianship and making it seem effortless. Like you don't notice how insanely amazing these songs are until you go in and try to actually replicate it. It's just like fuck. There's so much going on there.
2: The other videos are, uh, you well. The first one was was the good in everyone, and and you guys can speak to seeing that at the time it aired. But that's a groundbreaking music video in the in the sense that the 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 non music footage is longer than the actual music footage. Um, you know where where can we go from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can speak to to, to that. I mean, like, I, I think I might have seen everything you've done wrong first, even though it technically came out second. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I when I saw Good and Everyone. It's, it's almost like you don't know what to make of it. You're like, does the drummer have a mustache? Like, does he look like that? And I definitely hadn't seen Easy Rider, so I didn't understand the reference. It was just this sort of keeping in line with the record, which is just sort of a, a combination of decisions that they just made. Like, this is just like what we like, you know, uh, as opposed to being motivated by anything else. The videos are, are, are similar, you know, like good and everyone for sure is just sort of like, we're going to have fun doing a take on easy rider, whatever, you know, like, and it ends up obviously being a huge song, a huge video too. And, and again, that uniqueness, you know, it's, it's, there aren't any other music videos like that necessarily. Or I mean, you could say sabotage or something where they're playing dress up and it's, it's like a callback to like an old cop show. But, um, yeah like it it was it just added to the cool factor as far as i was concerned you could say you know sabotage or buddy holly or something like that uh, being in that sort of same vein where they're referencing something from the past and kind of bringing it into the here and now but uh, yeah just that that video just is timeless for me and uh, you know seeing it at the time it complimented how amazing the album sounded, how awesome it was seeing them live. They're not just these four boring guys behind their, their instruments performing the songs. They've got this next level visual component, you know, their, their, their videos are obviously extremely creative and you can tell that they're involved. It's not somebody making a decision on their behalf. So,
2: Yeah. And then the lines you amend video, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, I, the fact that it starts with the, uh, And we haven't even talked about the outro of of A-Side Wins, how that's like, you know, how cool that is. Another texture for the album, similar to Junior Panthers being just another, like these little departures on the album. Um, That's like such a mood, the end of A-Side Wins. It's so eerie, and it's so cool. And uh, the fact that they start that video off with that, and the little black and white pictures, which I know on the uh it's, a-side twins dvd yeah, yeah to, what is
0: it's to Sir with love um okay. but but really that music could sort of be at the top of any sort of classic movie like a hitchcock movie or something it's so like epic yeah. and filmic yeah. and um so unique again again a- another example of something that, that you know andrew just liked playing that as a cool part that he liked you know that might not have fit in in terms of like a pop structure for a song, but you know, the song ends and then just blank, here's this other section that we've sort of cut and pasted onto the end here. Um, And it just sounds so unique and it just adds such a color to the whole thing. Yeah,
1: And he plays the piano, like he plays guitar, like he plays the drums, like his fingerprints are all over his sound on each of those three instruments.
2: In addition to your horns, maracas, hand claps. Yes. Piano was on, um, you know uh loosens yep. but it's very muted very uh w- just single hits of the piano that kind of drone on but like on on one chord it's uh you know it's very prominent and that that sounding piano that I love from uh you know like the beach boys wild honey album very much mm-hmm. utilizes that same kind of out of tune piano um, slightly detuned piano um for effect um it's so cool every you could any discussion about this album is gonna inevitably come back to how cool it is it's just a cool album and maybe that's you know who wouldn't want to hear that as a as a compliment for your album like it's it's sloan's coolest album i think
0: Yeah, it's just the whole thing, the whole package, the the album itself, the songs, the songwriting, the production, how it sounds, the visual, the videos, just everything is there. It's all perfect. There isn't anything, you know, like the joke about, you know, like after you've done two skips on an album, you might as well just toss it. You know, there's nothing to skip here. And I mean, you could argue that their their quality is like untouchable on their other albums too but i mean this is just such a touchstone of absolute perfection Uh, and like you said earlier aaron it is kind of funny that twice removed is the one that's kind of beloved and i think that has more to do with the fact has more to do with when it came out and what was going on and um maybe their accessibility to a to a bigger audience at the time maybe kind of striking certain people um you know uh where they were in their lives or whatever but yeah for me like one chord is sort of where it's at it, it it trumps twice removed entirely
1: it is so much better than twice removed and don't get me wrong i love that album but this is the first real sloan album this is the first album that has the formula this is really the first album in which all four guys are contributing more or less evenly. You know, you do have discrepancies in terms of the number of tracks that made the final cut, but we have multiple tracks per band member. And the quality is really just, it's night and day, really, in comparison to what you get on the first two albums. It's it's sort of that, it's the beginning of the classic era. If you wanted to find an era of this band as being sort of the classic phase, then 96 is where you start, and the album has all the ingredients that every single album following it would have. So this is, it's, it's important because this album is the album that main, that made Sloan what they are, and it's really the album that is the reason why we're sitting here today talking about it 25 years later.
2: It's definitely, it's definitely, and it's. Let me say definitely five more times. Um, it's tied. It's tied for my favorite slow album, It's it, with with never hear the end of it, and I feel like that's a lot of people do that. It's just so happens I I think Chris Murphy does that um, himself. It's between those two albums. I think Jay Jay might have Jay did the rank your albums thing for that whatever website that was, which is a great. Read you should check that out, uh, listener. Um, I think he ends with long chord as his favorite. At the end of the day, if gun to my head, I I think I take one chord just because I love the the production and and this, I just love every every song. So uh, it's
0: it's a perfect doorway album for anybody. You know, if somebody's not into yeah. them or whatever, they're just casually into them. One chord is the way you get anybody into Sloan. Like if you hear yep. that album, if it, it's not for you, then they're not for you. You know, um but it's hard to imagine somebody not loving it. Like it's so just pleasing to listen to and and this album really kind of culminates with what i was saying earlier it's it's so unique in that you've got a record that is for songwriters unique voices great taste music you know from musical from the musical standpoint to the visual standpoint from the actual making of the album like i said the videos they're really there to kind of please themselves and it creates this magical combination that at the end of the day what do you have you have this perfect album Um, and that might be a great segue to potentially a part two here or a part three, part four, where we kind of go track by track. I definitely want to talk about the party album. Uh, so Aaron, if you are up for it, we'd love to have you back for part two, part three, you know, maybe we can see how many parts we can get on one court here, but, uh, um, it's a, it's a great time.
2: If I'm around, around, I'll I'll, I'll be glad to, people are probably tired of hearing me on on this thing, but I, uh, I'm glad to have been here at least for this one. I'll say that because, um, it's such a it's it's such an important album for sloan for for music in general um you know it's that's not crazy to say this is uh this is the one this is for me i mean whatever cut this out but (laughs) the the point is it's it's the best
0: it is, it is the best, yeah. So thanks again, Aaron, for being with us. We'll definitely have happy to have you back for another part for the one core discussion. Uh, thank you for tuning in, listener. If you're not already listening to the Murder Records podcast, episode six is out now. Besides Wind Volume 2, you got to check it out. If you're not following Patrick on Patreon, what the hell is wrong with you? you got to get tons of tickets. December shows coming up with Kiwi Jr., uh, sub-pop band, and Andrew's live show. Uh, you can see it at tinyurl.com slash awgslive, which is Andrew, Walter, Gibson, Scott Live. Go check it out. Uh, Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time on Sloancast. Bye, everybody.
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks for sticking around until the end of the episode. I have one quick editor's note before we say goodbye for now. We talked about Sloan being the Wu-Tang Clan of rock music, and I'm going to put my nominations out there for which Sloan member corresponds to which Wu-Tang Clan member. So feel free to add your own ideas in the comments on our Instagram post, or to send them to us at sloancast at gmail.com. Without further ado, Chris Murphy, certainly Killa. Uh, for his prolificness, um, for his wit, and for his versatility. Patrick is a uh, method man for being the hit maker and having the highest crossover potential. I put Jay in as GZA, uh to quote a famous Wu-Tang Clan quote, uh, Wu-Tang is like Voltron and Jizza is the head, so knowing Jay for his cerebral rhymes and Andrew I have penciled in as Rizza for his artistic delivery and avant-garde lyrics. So thank you for listening to this very special Okta anniversary episode of Sloancast. We'll see you next time, and don't forget to protect your neck.